the people who picked the wallpaper for this show, checkmate. You cocksucker. To tell you the truth of a child, you're astounding. Hey, Beth, fuck you. It's The Queen's Gambit. Welcome to the Center Cut. I'm a cracker. I'm also a cracker. I'm Michael. We're all crackers. I'm Dave the Cracker. I've installed one of those cool analog chess timers, so make sure that you hit your button when you're done talking, Dave. I will beat you, you Soviet dork. So we're here today to talk about Queen's Gambit. New Netflix show. Everyone loves it. And apparently so do we. I don't know that I'd say I love it. We'll, we'll talk. But uh, yeah, it's one of Netflix's most popular shows in a long time, apparently. I would hope we're going to talk. This would be a shitty podcast if we didn't. <laughs> I guess before we dive in, it, clearly this is about chess. Like, this is a chess show, which is wild that that's a uh-huh. thing in 2020. I don't know what you know about chess. I It's always a thing that I've wanted to be good at, but I just don't yet have the patience to learn the intricacies. It's one of those things like it's easy to learn, difficult to master. There's just like a mountain of things to digest and learn if you're going to be remotely good at it. One day, though, I bet like when I'm 60, I'm going to join a chess club and just dominate that shit. No, nah, when I'm when I'm 60, I'm going to play like Parcheesi or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a chess guy. But if we're talking strategy board games, my money's on Stratego. I don't know if you've ever played. It's an underrated game. It's been around for years. It's like capture the flag minus all the physical exertion. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat when it comes to chess. I would like to pretend that I was good at it because I like to think myself a relatively intelligent person. And one of the first times I, I had a coaching with with a boss that I had, he he was like, hey, let's play chess and then fucking obliterated me. And I felt like a, <laughs> a, a wee, a wee dumb lad. I'm so happy because I know exactly what you're talking about. And the same thing happened to me with the, with the same person. So oh, Perfect. High five. That makes me very happy. I hope that he listens to this and enjoys that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell the people what we, what we did with this stupid show? Well, I don't know if it was stupid, but we watched not only the first and last episode. So episode one, episode seven of The Queen's Gambit. Nothing in between. You know, we're going to do some recaps here. And then we have a lot of questions, a lot of questions today to try to help us figure out the middle. Yeah, this is like we said, a good old Netflix joint. It was based on the 1983 novel by the same name, The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis. This show was released on October 23rd of this year. So relatively recently, it only took four weeks for it to become Netflix's most watched scripted miniseries. So that's pretty impressive. It had a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is one of the higher scores that we've seen. It was adapted for Netflix by Scott Frank and Alan Scott, and it stars Isla, Isla, let's say Isla, Isla Johnston and Anya Taylor-Joy. Which are the only two characters that matter because they're the only ones that play Beth. Um, I don't know that they're the only ones that matter, but okay. They're the only ones that matter. That's how I feel about it. All right. But I want to talk more about this show. So what happened in the first episode? First episode titled Openings. Beth Harmon emerges from the wet, dark tub. This is her birth as a free adult. It's 1967 Paris. 
and we're in a hotel and it looks like she had a night of debauchery and judging by the hair of the man in bed i think it's the reporter guy from the last episode question mark yeah could be so she takes some green pills mutters in french wears our first of many black and white illusions and rushes downstairs to play chess against Borogov, as many people look on. I was very confused by this. I didn't the first time I watched this through, I didn't really pay any mind to who she was playing in the beginning here. And now that we've watched the whole show and spoiler alerts for 10 minutes from now, she plays Borgov as the her final challenger in the final episode. So did they not finish this game? Did he beat her and she got better and wanted to kick his ass? Like, why is she playing this dude twice? Well, I'm sure it's a different. I mean, it's number one, it's a different location, a different year. So it's, you know, probably like tennis matches. I'm sure like there's the Australian Open, the Wimbledon. No, I I get that. I'm just it, it seems like. The the whole way that the last episode is kind of set up is that everything is building to her playing against this guy, which doesn't make sense to me if she's already played him. Like, why is there so much tension? Well, she probably lost if she's played him before in the show. Yeah, maybe she did. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I don't I don't think there'd be as much tension if she beat him the first time. Yeah, I agree. So Maybe she did. Maybe he kicked her ass. Who knows? Maybe she was too drunk and high. That's a distinct possibility. So she stares him down. And we flash to the past where we reside for the rest of the episode. Nine-year-old Beth is on a bridge. Her mom died in a car wreck, and she gets taken by Kentucky Social Services. We find out that it's 1957, and she's taken to Methuen Home, which is basically an orphanage. Now, we get more black and white here with the social services car and the black man and whatever that music teacher is. (laughs) Mrs. Deerdorf. The head of the orphanage shows Elizabeth around and we hear Jolene spouting off about fucking cocksuckers. My kind of show already. Mrs. Deerdorf gives me distinct vibes like the shitty nun from Warrior Warrior Nun that Mm. like just murdered some folks because she was an (laughs) asshole. She's just like a a nicer version of that shitty nun. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. So she has Beth's haircut, though it looks exactly the same to me I'll, I'll never understand female hair oh that it didn't even wasn't even close to the same they cut off a ton of her oh. hair <laughs> i don't know no well worse. she makes beth lose her monogrammed dress which she offers to burn and gives her a plain replacement <laughs> what an asshole this girl just watched her bob die in a car accident she's wearing a shirt that or a dress that more than likely her mom like embroidered her name on there or some shit. Like it didn't come with the name Beth on it. Like someone did that special for her and she's like, mm, we're going to burn this. Yeah. She just, she wants to steal the individual from Beth and just homogenize her with the rest of everybody and drugs. Gross. Mm-hmm. Speaking of drugs, next step is the pill line. We meet Jolene who offers her advice about the tranquilizers and we get a flashback of Beth's mom saying, close your eyes into the rear view mirror, which was the last thing that she said. Now, we get pseudo confirmation later in the last episode, but this coupled with everything else we see of her mom this episode led me to guess that her death was suicide. And boy, is that selfish and dark. I agree that it was suicide. And the way the the policemen say like, wow, how is there not a scratch on this little girl? Because her mom was a professor, what it looks like at Cornell in mathematics and was uh, apparently a very smart person before it seems like drugs took took hold of her 
it seems like she had purposefully calculated doing it in that way so that Beth would not be injured in any way. That that's a really good take. I didn't I didn't think of that, but I I can I can see that now. Like you have those math problems when you're in like sixth grade. Like if a train's going seventy miles an hour, like she mm-hmm. she calculated her speed. At, yeah, that's that's pretty great. I think so. Totally. And even told her to close her eyes so that she wouldn't like damage her eyes with glass or anything like that. Mm. Also, not mm. see her mom die, but maybe well, that's yeah. the reason she said that. Who knows? Pretty sweet. So anyway, Did you say pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sweet that this lady committed suicide with her child in the back seat. Pretty sweet. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, Beth takes her pills and is immediately in a haze. More importantly, though, she swallows the pills without any liquid, which I think is impossible. I don't understand how pe- I have no idea how people do that. It boggles my They're mind. Big. They're big pills, too. Yeah, I take a Zyrtec and it's like half the size of a fucking grain of rice and I need like a gallon <laughs> of water to take it. Yeah, it's wild. So uh, she eats some typical orphanage fare and tries to go to sleep. We get a flashback to her crazy mom who has a PhD in math, but she turned Beth's dad into a bachelor. Still got it. Back at the Methuen house, Beth finishes her math work. So she gets to clean the erasers in the basement where she meets the janitor, Scheibel who was playing chess by himself instead of, you know, doing his job. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's just efficient enough at his job that he can chill. I mean, he spends an awful lot of time in the basement playing chess. He's getting away with it, you know? Yeah. Do you think Jolene was sucking that Ferguson guy's dick? Oh, man. I kind of had the feeling that there there was something there. Right? And I almost also had the feeling that Jolene did not consent to it. I just spilled my drink and I'm pissed about it. I didn't spill a ton of it, but just like enough to be obnoxious, you know? All right. That's as good as it's going to get for right now. I will finish that later. All right. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Jolene getting raped. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I just there was definitely some some weird vibes there for sure. Yeah, I just had that feeling of something more was going on there. Yeah. But uh, Beth saves her tranquilizer pill for the night, and she has visions of the chessboard on the ceiling. A couple days later, Beth plays chess with Scheibel, and he kicks her ass. So she takes a bunch of pills and uses her ceiling powers to envision beating him. Yep. They play again. He takes her queen, makes her resign, quoting sportsmanship, and she calls him a cocksucker. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, though. You can't bandy about words like sportsmanship while you're playing a nine-year-old and offering her no other information on the game. The guy's kind of a bully. Yeah, that was a little asshole-ish. It's like, so you're not even going to explain to her the rules unless you feel like explaining a specific rule. But then take your queen and be like, you quit now. Surprise, you asshole. Yeah, he just he's totally wants to be in control and he just doles out the information as he sees fit. And I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of bullyish. Yeah, I liked him, though. Oh, yeah. No, he's the man. But uh, she takes more pills, finds the basement locked for a few days and asks Jolene about what a cocksucker is. Jolene says a cock is like a thumb and girls like to suck that thumb. (laughs) This is my kind of show. But this scene (laughs) does a good job at just showing her innocence because she's like in ain't that where they pee it's 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 a lot it's great she sits in class where the teacher is talking about inspecting his stool and (laughs) (laughs) the worst teacher ever (laughs) three times a week i like to inspect my stool if it's too hard that means i'm dehydrated and so that's why we got to drink water like Like, know your audience dude know your audience yeah 
far more important to teach him about penises. What are you doing? Yeah, because all while he's talking that nonsense, Beth is in the back looking at diagrams of Mandics, and and this is definitely our kind of show. Mm-hmm. The basement's finally unlocked, and Beth takes Scheibel to the woodshed. He continues on with his bully shit, though, where he refuses to give her info that could help her, and we get a montage of her saving up pills in her toothbrush holder as she continues to learn the game through various openings like the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, so it's quite obvious at this point that she is confident that the pills are what is making her good at chess. Yeah, we have we have some questions or we have a question about that later. So I don't want to dive too deep into it, but yeah, I'm conflicted. Mm. Scheibel gives her a chess book, which she reads in class while the teacher reads a poem. The poem is not waving, but drowning. I only mention it because it's a poem about a guy who drowns because onlookers think his frantic flailing is waving. But on a deeper level, it's about depression and being misunderstood. So I think it's quite fitting with Beth and her mother. Um, so I think they chose her for a reason. You're such a nerd. Yep. Scheibel introduces Beth to Mr. Gans, head of the chess club at the local high school. She packs his shit in and he gives her a doll. It all seems a bit inappropriate, like two adult men with whiskey playing games with a nine-year-old in the basement and giving her gifts. I mean, naturally, the doll was to to play on the fact in this time, girls really didn't play chess. So it was like the, oh, you're, you're a girl, you must like this doll. And then watching her fucking throw it in the trash can was great. Also, this fake smile that she gives him when when <laughs> Scheibel like makes that look like, hey, like don't be an asshole. And she does this like fake smile, and I'm pretty confident it's the only time she smiles in the entire episode. I think you're right, and it's fucking great. Like the only time she smiles is a fake smile because this douche gave her a doll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she crushes Scheibel and Mr. Gans again, and Mr. Gans takes their picture, and like you said, she throws the doll away. The picture is fucking the best. Yeah. Like they both look so, so unhappy. It's so, so depressed. It's so great. Yeah. Mr. Gans arranges for Beth to go to the high school to play against 12 boys at once. And I'm not even going to make a gangbang joke. I'm not going to do it now. You just did. No, there's a new new state law. No more green trick pills. No more gangbang jokes. About nine year olds. Harmon is mad. <laughs> Mad about the no pills. Yeah, she's not a happy camper because she's convinced that that's what's making her good at the thing that she enjoys doing. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sentence is great. <laughs> Jolene helps her out. She slips her some greens and Beth goes to the high school and runs train on these unsuspecting high school boys. I'm glad I wasn't a high school boy in the 50s. They're all just so white and nerdy. Like half of these fucks were wearing bowling shoes. Dude, if you were a... a I don't even. I was gonna make some joke about how that's you. That's you as a person, anyway. So you would fit in perfect, but I couldn't formulate the way of saying it. So you got away with it this time. Beth eats chocolate with Scheibel in the basement and talks shit about all the boys she took down in one hour and twenty minutes, which is impressive. Yeah. Beth concocts a play to break into the medicine cabinet for more green pills. The girls are all watching The Robe. Now, I started reading a synopsis to see if there was a deeper reason for that choice, but I got bored a few sentences in. Old movies are trash. Yeah, it looked terrible. It was really bad. Apparently, it was really popular in the 50s, but Beth sneaks off while the movie's playing, breaks into the medicine cabinet, and as Alleluia plays, she stuffs her pockets and mouth full of pills. Yeah, I was expecting her to like be excited to get the pills and take a few when she got in there. I was not expecting her to fucking just shove a few handfuls in her mouth and almost even look like she was chewing them, which is bananas. She was just rifling those things down. 
So pretty bad. And then she turns back to grab the full jar. She yeah. ODs, drops the jar, which shatters over the floor and passes out onto the ground in front of everybody. Yeah. And falls on a, a bunch of pills and broken glass. And glass. Yeah. And uh, that's that's quite the first episode. Yeah. That ending. I, I knew something like that was going to happen with the pills, but I, I did not see that that stark of an ending coming. That was pretty intense. I mean, I imagine she probably had to have like her stomach pumped. That was a lot of pills she took. Yeah. Some pills, if you take too many, will kill you. And some pills will just like not do nice things to you. But you won't die. So you think these are more enough. of the upset upset stomach variety? Yeah. So so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It, it would be interesting. Like, I wonder if they, you know, I, I would assume that no one here knew what to do in that instance. So called an ambulance or something. And plus she's an, she's an orphanage girl. So, I mean, they probably would just let her die. Yeah. Well, that was dark well i'm just saying i mean it's better for the state too dark for me well anyway you're the worst (laughs) so episode seven titled end game we start with a flashback of her mother actually trying to give her to her father when she was little and him him refusing so now we see that same car scene that we kind of saw earlier in the first episode where you know her mother says she has a problem to solve. And when Beth asked what problem, she says, what I do with you. And then shortly after accident. So we see that kind of again. We're back in present time. Jolene is visiting Beth in, and impressed by the home that she has purchased. Jolene is is rocking an afro and is putting the fro and frosting. And I will let her ice my cupcake anytime. Mm. I just thought she looked real good. With the Afro leather jacket. She had a very late 60s, early 70s disco vibe, and I'm into it. Listen, I'm not anti-Afro or anti-black culture, anti-black expression or any of that. But there's a scene later on with her. I am anti-being a selfish jerk. Like, she sits in the front of this church with her giant ass hair. Like, if you have a head of hair with triple the volume of Ronald McDonald, it's like if you go to a concert and you're stuck behind the tall sweaty guy like have some self-awareness you fucking shithead just i i can't do it i can't do it with the tall hair (laughs) okay anti-marge simpson fine yeah moving on (laughs) so anywho mr scheibel has died sad bill camp no no dude so they're talking about they're they're gonna go to the funeral while they're getting ready for bed the night before a few days before however long that time is uh we learn a few things jolene is a paralegal and she's saving to go to law school beth is still on the tranquilizers and still thinks that she needs them to be good at chess she also drinks a whole lot and then jolene tells her just fucking get your shit together mm-hmm. pretty much stop doing that now so they go to the funeral. Not not many people there. It's relatively uneventful. Afterwards, they go back to the school because the funeral was was nearby. And Beth heads into the basement and sees that Mr. Scheibel kind of had a, a little, I don't want to call it a shrine, but he had this wall with, with all of her like articles of her winnings and things like that. So he was kind of tracking her career. And then she finds that picture of them that they took in the first episode. And it is just as hilarious as when they took it. <laughs> yeah. 
but she she cries. This like got to her, which is odd because most of the show that we've seen, she's very emotionless or or at least very guarded. You can see there's some emotion there, but she she doesn't show it very often. So when you yeah. see her crying or when you saw the f- smile in the first episode, it doesn't happen all that often. No, but I, I mean, it seems like he was basically the father that she never had. So it does make sense that it would hit her like that. To yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, absolutely. So sometime in the future, we don't really know how long the Christian crusade is meeting with Beth and they want her to make a statement to the press, you know, telling everyone how she loves God and that atheism is communism. And she's like, no, thanks. Not saying that. (laughs) And so she's a communist and they basically pull her funding for the trip to the Soviet union. They were, they were funding that. So she pays them back for the previous trips that she had gone on and basically giving back most of her money. So at this point, she figures out that she doesn't have enough money to actually go to the Soviet Union for this match that she wanted to go to. She's trying to figure out options. She calls this guy named Benny, who is an absolute tool. How did they get a 22-year-old David Spade to do this show? (laughs) I don't know. I didn't know there was such a thing as a 22-year-old David Spade, but there he is. (laughs) I agree with you. He looked identical to David Spade. He could play like young David Spade in in the autobiography movie that everyone's waiting for. (laughs) <laughs> so she talks to to Benny, asks him to pay for the trip because she thinks he has money. Can't tell if he's lying about not having the money or telling the truth, but either way, he's not going to pay for it and just kind of hangs up on her. He suggested, though, in the call, calling either the Chess Federation or the State Department. She tries both and neither of them are really able to help pay for it. Nope. She's talking about this to Jolene, and Jolene decides she's just going to pay for it. Crazy. Crazy. Jolene has been saving for law school, but, you know, she's a good friend and, and going to pay for it. It was $3,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in 1967, that was the equivalent of about $23,000. That's a lot of money to just pay someone that... Because uh, when they when when Jolene shows up, she's talking like they haven't seen each other in a while. So yeah, fr- friends is like a weird term. I, I don't know what they've been doing in between when we saw them. So still a yeah, lot of money. It's a lot of money odd. regardless. Definitely. But she's finally got the money to go to Moscow. So we are on our way to Moscow. It is now 1968. There is a State Department rep with her who tell is kind of keeping an eye on her, giving her tips for being out of the country. He suggests to her not to drink and to stay with him at all times when she's outside of the hotel. The chess begins. It's all very intense. The best Russian player is the Vasily Borgov, the, the same gentleman who we saw at the very beginning of the first episode. But she's got a number of people to beat before she gets to play him. Yeah, and there's there's shots in between of like at a table with a bunch of them eating. And I thought, like when they first showed it, she was looking around at the foods. I thought she was going to throw up. Like she looked, she had this look on her face, like she was just going to vomit. I thought she was concerned that she was getting like poisoned or something. <laughs> Maybe that too. But like all Russian foods are like automatic peak versions of vomit, like borscht, ospreek, stroga, stroganoff. I'm going to cut that joke. <laughs> nope. I loved it. You have to keep it in. <laughs> Stroganoff. <laughs> So <laughs> she is getting ready for her matches. She starts playing some dudes. She just wrecks the first like three or four of them. She crushes them. She's fucking picking off Russians like James Bond and Goldeneye. 
<laughs> she's got tons of fans now. The fans are kind of increasing each time she leaves after a match. She goes outside and there's more and more fans there excited to meet her. Okay, I don't get this. Imagine wanting to get an autograph from a chess player. I don't like I've never understood the whole autograph thing. Somebody you like touched the thing. Big deal. Like grow up, you wimp. People who charge for their autograph, though, are even worse. You're going to make somebody pay for something you do all the time when you make a large credit card purchase or go to the doctors. Screw you. Yeah, that uh, the paying for I definitely it's like, come on, man. But I like I understand people just wanting to immortalize their chance to meet someone who they look up to. But it's just there. It's just like now they have something to look back at and, and remember that that time. But you just have your memory like it's in your brain. Just I don't like know. But taking, just like taking a picture with a famous person. I guess. The same but, general idea. Yeah, I, I guess. Well, if anybody wants my autograph, mail me a piece of paper and you can have it for free. When I get famous for dying in some ridiculous fashion, all I ask is that you don't <laughs> donate any of the profits because charity is a fool's errand perpetuated to keep the rich rich. There are so many things about that. But the one I want to attach to is that you just yelled at people for wanting people to pay for autographs, <laughs> but you're not willing to pay for a sheet of goddamn paper to, to send an no, autograph. No, no, no. Yeah. They need to mail me the paper. Yeah. <laughs> no, I need the paper. I'm not, giving out, I'm not doling out free paper here. Like, give me a break. You're the worst. And I, I didn't mention it, but please also, I need, uh, what is that called when you give me the stamp? I don't want, I don't, I'm not getting my own stamp. Oh, yeah. You want, you want self address return postage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're terrible. So she's getting more and more fans. It, people are more and more excited for her, but it's increasingly looking like she's just very lonely. There are a lot of, mm-hmm. A lot of shots of her being by herself. No one's there with her. Or if there is someone with her, it's just as like State Department rep who she doesn't give a shit about. This guy sucks. So finally, she beats enough people where she gets to play against the old chubby Albert Einstein. Oh, my God. It's Bruce Valanche. I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. It's the guy from Hollywood Squares who's fat and lumpy and has. Oh, (laughs) I know what you're talking about now. That's great. He looks good here, though. He looks good. But uh, all I'm saying is this guy probably could have beaten her if he brushed his stupid, wispy white hairs out of his eyes. Yep, probably. So essentially, they play one day and the match gets adjourned because they weren't able to finish. So as she's walking back to her room in the hotel, she sees a room with an open door with a few of the Russian players in it, including chubby Albert Einstein and Borogov and a few of the other Russian players. They are all standing around a table with a chessboard trying to figure out how to beat her. I don't like, is this allowed? Yeah, I would assume that it isn't, but what is also not allowed is her hearing their plan and then going back to her room and immediately coming up with a plan to fucking kick his ass. Yeah. So either way, this is all bad news. But yeah, that's a little bullshit. I agree. She beats him the following day. He takes the loss very well. He's very gracious Mm -hmm. and even says, I may have just played the best chess player of my life. She's like the chess version of the Beatles now. The fucking people are just losing their minds. Crazy. She beats the next dude, no problem. But she's starting to look visibly tired. And I think that has to do with the fact that she's not taking drugs. And we actually see a scene shortly after where she looks at her pills and thinks about taking them and then actually flushes them down the drain. So she's kind of having this self battle of not not wanting to take them, but thinking that she needs them to win. But I also think that they're still tranquilizers that they still help her sleep. And I don't think she's getting a lot of sleep because of that. Yeah, no, I I think you're totally right now. Also very minor. But in that scene where she dumps them down the toilet. 
Did you see the toilet paper in that hotel room? No, I did not. Oh, my God. Go check it out when you get a chance. I'm team one ply, as you know, but that stuff looked like a fucking manila folder. I draw the line. I draw the line. (laughs) Well, if you like one ply, then you won't mind just one very thick ply. (laughs) No, this was this was too much. (laughs) But speaking of her hotel room, though, I I said it at the beginning, but there's so much awesome wallpaper in the show. It is the best part for me. Every the best room part of this whole show is the wallpaper. Is the wallpaper? I I swear, every single room has the coolest wallpaper. I don't know how many times this episode I've had to say you're the worst. <laughs> I should probably stop. The final match. He's finally made it to Borgov. The final match has begun after a bunch of really intense chess moves. Borgov adjourns the match. I think he's starting to worry that she might beat him. I didn't know this was allowed either. I didn't know you could just be like, "Hold up, <laughs> we're taking a pause." Yeah, timeout. He called he called his timeout. Also interesting, I didn't realize that when you do call timeout like that, he had to write down his next move on a sheet of paper and hand it over so that that is the first move on the ah, following day. Okay, I didn't I didn't realize what he was writing. That's that's that is interesting. Yeah, so as she's walking out after the the adjourning of this match, there's a bunch of press there that want to ask her questions. She stops and talks to them, mostly about Mr. Scheibel. And then some attractive man walks out of the crowd, and she is very excited about it. Yeah, and like I said at the beginning, I think this is the guy we see in 1967 Paris because the hair looks similar. Yeah. So, like, we see all these pro-Harmonites outside getting autographs, doing all the reporting here. But this was the 60s Russia. Like, there had to also be a larger faction of people who were like, we can't let this woman conquer down with female. Yeah, you're right. You, you would think that there would almost be more people that would like that that were like that than right? the other way around. No, but like not one. We didn't see one person that was like that. Everyone was like pro Beth Harmon. I, I I don't think that's realistic. There should have at least been one moment where she walked out and everyone's excited, and some dude like in Happy Gilmore that's like, "You suck, <laughs> you jackass!" Like that kind yeah. of that dude yeah. who's like in the crowd, like "fuck you" in yeah. your girl parts. And it's not right. Like I'm obviously I'm not condoning yeah. it, but I mean it's the '60s. And it's not even in the U.S. Like it's somewhere that's more, more conservative than I, I don't know. It's just agreed. It doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. That definitely should have been a part of it. I agree. But I think they also wanted to focus on and make it about her and how she was, you know, blazing the trail for other yeah. other women. That's why in these crowds, it was mostly women. There were men there, sure. but it was primarily women excited that she was advancing chess for women. Definitely. At this point, her her sexy man has appeared. Apparently, they didn't end things on very good terms. She was mad at him. He was mad at her. She broke his heart. Some bullshit like that. Who knows? But at this point, she's talking with him like, I think I, I need the pills and booze to win. Like, I I need it. And he's like, no, you don't need it. Stop being a bitch. You can do this. An old man opens a chessboard and claws at the pieces like a monkey who just got a dozen bananas. <laughs> I didn't really understand that scene. <laughs> Sexy boy awakens Beth with a coffee the next morning and a phone call comes through and it is all her chess friends, fuck buddies from the United States who are going to help her figure this out. So they're going to pull pull a Russian move right right back at him. Yeah, we have some questions about that later, but she's taking advice from Joe Dirt. And what the hell is this other guy's face? Like, he looks like he belongs in that music video from the 80s. I think it's Genesis, like Land of Confusion. What is wrong with his face? Like, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he's got some unfortunate dimensions. Like Which his eyes one? Are, the one where his eyes are like an inch apart. Is that the Harry? I think that's his name, yeah. Maybe. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the kid from Harry Potter. That yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, he's richer and he has a better life than me, but he's unfortunate looking. <laughs> well, she talks through all the moves with them, all the different scenarios, and she's just ready to kick his ass. So play resumes. They play a few a few kind of back and forth uh, shots here, but he ends up not doing what they expected him to do. At this point, you can see that she kind of has a, an internal struggle like, oh, shit, I had a plan and that's all out the window. And then she just takes a deep breath and looks up at the ceiling. And what do you fucking know? Her magic chest powers are back without drugs, without the drugs. Yep. It's a Christmas m- Moscow miracle. <laughs> After that, a few moves later, she kicks his ass. He takes it graciously, which I was surprised by. I thought Same. he was going to lose his fucking shit. Yeah. But he took it relatively graciously, gives her the chess piece, says, you know, this is this is your game now or something along those lines. As she's walking out, she leaves sexy boy in the crowd. He just takes her picture and she leaves him in Moscow. I don't know. And then she's on her way to the airport with the, the State Department representative He's telling her all the things that she is now scheduled for going, going to see the president and blah, 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 blah. All the, all the press that comes with being a famous chess player. And she says, I don't want to do that. Asks to stop the car, gets out and goes and plays some chess with those uh, old people in the alley. Yeah, I don't really understand the ending that much, uh, but it must actually be tough going from playing pros like in a countrywide championship like the best of the best and then playing some joe schmo amateur like you're just used to seeing the game one way and having your opponent like have a particular level of sophistication so this old dude she plays probably plays horribly and like telegraphs his next moves but she's probably just blind to it and uh, again because you're just looking at it in such a way i I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but I bet you she loses is all I'm saying. No, I I agree with you. I I don't think she loses, but I agree (laughs) with you that when you get so used to playing with the professionals and they're they're very predictable in the way that they are going to play, that when you play someone who doesn't have as firm an understanding of the game, that their moves could be much more erratic. Yeah, I bet you I bet you it's a challenge is is, is, I guess what I was trying to say. I agree with that. But why, like, what's the deal here? What is it supposed to mean something when at the end she's like, let's play or whatever she says? Something like that. Yeah, I bet just like somewhere in the middle, chess became more about money and shit like that. And this is like her realizing that she's just doing it because she loves it and she wants to. Mm. You know, moral of the story is do what you love and, and don't without sell out without gotcha. drugs. Don't sell okay. your autographs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was the first and last episode. Yeah. So I think all that we need to do now is get into these damn questions. Answer a billion questions. Yeah, that sounds about right. There are a lot. First few questions here from a few of our our Reddit friends. Apprehensive AD5190 asks, when you watch the last episode and all those guys come together to help Beth win, what are your best guesses as to who they are? Why are they important to Beth? So there are six of them. There's David Spade, there's the close-eyed guy, and then four other randos. Now, I think it's safe to say that she has slept with all, or maybe most of them. It seems to me like all of her relationships are calculated, like mathematic, systematic moves, and letting them in the past put their bishops in her D1, and maybe her A5-5 has led them to here where now they can help her win slash cheat. So I think she has slept with them and she's also 
played them in chess. <laughs> yes, I agree. She only she only takes chess playing suitors. Yep. No, I so I'll agree with you. I don't know if it's more calculated as uh, in the first episode. There's a lot of scenes of young Beth walking out in front of the school and seeing you know, young men and young ladies who are outside of the school, you know, hanging out, chatting. And then there's one where like uh, two of them are making out. I think she's just like a slut. I think she's just into it. No, there really is like these weird sexual undertones as a child, as a nine year old. So, yeah, yeah. no, I I think she had sex with all or most of these men. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think that these are just, you know, America's brightest young chess players. Maybe it's some kind of chess club that she belongs to or or a chess team that she played with in school or something like that, that she is somehow attached to these guys or like toured with them or whatever, whatever Mm. chess players do. But I'll agree with you that I'm confident that she slept with almost all of them, except that weird, creepy looking redheaded kid. (laughs) A young carrot top. Yeah. Yeah. He was not very attractive. She would have (laughs) skipped on that one for sure. The next question is from alt underscore jam about Mm. 49 minutes into the last episode. Beth and towns have a conversation. He explains how she was angry with him, how he was confused, wanted to be friends, and she broke his heart. What do you think exactly went down here? Great question. Naturally, based on this explanation, I can put together that Towns is our our sexy man from from the final episode and what you think to be the very beginning of the first. Yes. So I think that the first night they were ever going to make love, she took some tranquilizers and fell asleep while he was going down on her. Oh, boy. Thinking that meant he was bad at it. He devoted his life to becoming the best lovemaker. She found him sleeping with someone else for practice and she left him and he tried to explain that it was just for for her. He was trying to be better for her, <laughs> but she just didn't agree with that. And uh, and that's that's where they left it. No, I, I, I actually have a more logical answer to this, and that is that I think Towns is gay. Really? Okay. Hmm. Maybe he did. Yeah, I, I guess I could see that. Because so, here's the thing. Like, in, in the 60s, people who were gay weren't going to make it very well known, right? So more than likely, what what happened was they actually started dating and then, you know, they were close and then she wanted to to be with him romantically. And that's when he explained that he was gay and she mm. didn't handle that well. And she like almost ended their friendship basically because he was gay and that broke his heart. Gotcha. OK, because when you're gay, being friends with a woman is so important that it would break your heart. That's what you're trying to say. Well, just if being friends with anyone and having them not want to be friends with you because of your sexual orientation would break your heart. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. No, I I think I don't know if that is the answer, but I can totally see that. That is a, that is a logical way of thinking about it. So I I like your answer from the context clues that I heard them talking about throughout their entire conversation. I thought of it. Maybe like he wrote some story about her since, you know, he's, he's involved in, in newspaper reporting, magazines, et cetera. Maybe she didn't realize that he would use stuff they talked about, you know, when they were talking to each other. He used that and then that pissed her off, which led her to pull out from the friendship relationship, broke his heart that way. So that's the way that I kind of thought of it. But I don't know. I could see that. I could see either one. Yeah. Take me to Lollybrock asks, Beth is adopted. It wasn't your usual Beaver Cleaver family who took her in. 
what was their motive in adopting Beth? In terms of the motive, my guess is it they probably saw she was a prodigy and thought cha-ching like I know if I ever adopted that would be the only reason I would never adopt some stupid ugly kid like I would want someone who had some talent listen some people have the demeanor to be adoptive parents not me homie it's way too much work to be doing something for somebody who doesn't even share your genes call me selfish sure but like yep at least I won't be (laughs) kissing some random kid's forehead before bed (laughs) they're not a random job you're the you're the worst (laughs) No, but I I will agree with the very beginning of before that <laughs> fucking garbage sentence happened. They they Joe dirted her, and this is our second Joe Dirt reference for this episode. If anyone's keeping track, they they saw that she was becoming famous due to her skills, uh, that she was a prodigy in chess, and adopted her as a cash grab. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. That's got to be the answer. Yep. Uh, next question from Special Investigator. And there's a few questions from Special Investigator. Who is the most iconic character in your very brief viewing? Chubby Albert Einstein. Next. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Bill Camp for me. Dude's a legend. Uh, I also like young Jolene. I mean, it's the same actress that plays old Jolene, but sure. Next, Special Investigator asks, what would you guess is one of the worst things Beth does in the show? Well, breaking into the medicine cabinet and stealing all the pills certainly wasn't good. She does drugs. She drinks too much. She steals boys' hearts. I guess the better question is, what's the best thing she's done aside from winning chess matches? doesn't really seem like much of what she's done is good. It's all bad shit. Yeah, yeah. She seems like... She's a wild child. But I think that the worst thing that she does is ending a friendship slash relationship because they were gay. I'm going to come back and back yeah, really about towns there. I'm doubling down on that. Doubling down on the towns answer. All right. Yeah. Next question. Can you tell us about the younger Russian boy from midseason? Yeah, sure. The young Russian boy, of course. She plays this young boy in chess and he almost beats her and makes her realize that Russia is where she needs to go to beat the best. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I can't tell you about it i didn't watch the middle so no is it maybe the david spade character but younger oh he's not or, russian i don't think oh i don't know he looks kind of russian maybe this is a flashback nah. to the methuen house days listen i try not to be always too vulgar but i take what the content gives us and maybe she wanted to suck the russian boy's thumb uh on the other side of the fence where she was always watching the, the boys and girls Ooh, yeah that, that maybe might be sucking that thumb that's where she learned how to say let's play in russian <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Does Towns have romantic interests in Beth or are they just good friends? Man, this is really helping you double down on your answer. Um, Triple th- down. Here <laughs> yeah. it comes. I think so. Listen, I, we've talked about it. I think we see his stupid poofy hair in the opening scene in 1967 Paris. And everybody knows that you don't sleep in the same bed with good friends. It starts with a fuh and then it ends, baby. <laughs> Interesting way of putting that. Yeah, they're just good friends because he's gay. But I think that they slept together first. Like, I think that he was like trying to keep up the, the act or? that he was not gay. Okay. And then eventually he just had to tell her. I think that would explain why we saw him in the bed in the first episode or so we think. We just saw a dude with black hair and we're like, that was definitely him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think as of right now, they're just good friends. He doesn't have any additional romantic interests. Okay. Uh, next question. What instrument does her adopted mother play? Violin. Here's why I think this. Because 
when she's getting ready to start her chess matches, apparently all the chess players went to go watch uh, like a quartet play <laughs> for whatever reason. And she seemed to really fixate on the violin player. And I, I think that that could have been speaking to the fact that her adoptive mother played a lot of violin. I didn't catch that. That's a, that's a nice little tidbit to connect there. I like it. I think she played the skin flute. No, I think it's going to be the piano. No, like the, the men's thumb. N- no late 50s housewife is going to be playing the guitar or banjo or some shit. Yeah, you're, you're assuming it's got to be something, you know, as, as sad as this is to say, it's got to be like, especially the 60s, got to be something like girly, right? My answer is the piano. I think uh, just for the black and white keys to mimic the chessboard, I, I bet you they did some vision thing with that. Maybe. That's not a bad answer. Which character can drink the most? I'm going to go with Beth on this one, if only because I don't know the names of many other characters, and she downs a nip of vodka in the opening scene like it ain't no thing. So I'm going Beth. I mean, it's a nip of vodka. It It is ain't no thing. <laughs> it ain't no thing. <laughs> I agree with you, though. It is Beth. Um, I bet she drinks all those those skinny, nerdy men under the table. All right. Next question is from Beth. Basswild or Baswild or Baswild. In the first episode, we see young Beth in the early stages of addiction. In the last episode, we see Beth dumping the pills down the toilet and then later having a conversation with Towns about her believing she needs them. Do you think those pills slash addiction in general greatly impacted her life? Do you think addiction had a significant role in her mastery of chess and informing the relationships you see in the final episode? So first and foremost, I think this person's name is just B as wild. Ah, <laughs> That makes a lot more sense. I love. Uh, let's call the Baz Wild for now. <laughs> so great question, Baz Wild. I think that the addiction is why she seems so lonely in the end, right? So I think it did have a great impact on her life. I think the addiction and the drinking has driven away a lot of people that are close to her. I also think that the way that the pills helped her is she's got a lot of shit going on, right? Like her father wasn't around. Her mother was a fucking batshit crazy and then committed suicide right in front of her. And then she had to go to this home, like this, this orphanage with this fucking crazy ass bitch running the place, getting given drugs all the time. Like her childhood was fucked. Yeah. So she's got a lot of shit rolling around up in her, her old noggin. And I think the tranquilizers helped her to quiet all that other noise so she could focus her mind on the chess. So although I don't think the pills gave her some kind of otherworldly chess power, I think that the pills helped her focus her mind because she needed that in order to stay stay on topic and to be able to think of them clearly. Mm. And I think that's why we see in the end her take that deep breath and to try and focus herself. And then she sees the pieces on the ceiling. So I don't think the drugs were necessary, but I do think they helped her get through that, that childhood trauma in a way that she was able to focus and learn the game. Yeah, no, totally. I, I echo a lot of that. I, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Let me see what I did there. I, I, I would say it with hated. me folks. You're the worst. I, I would have, I would have hated if it was, if like the pills were a necessity for her so i do i do like that we see at the end that she was able to win without them and and 
she does it does feel like she feels freed from their hold mm. she she seems happy at the end when she decides to play against that random old dude too yeah like she's she's that haze of the drug is is gone and she can she sees that like you said she can she can do this she can play the game and be happy without it the end of this question though seems leading in a way to me that maybe these dudes helping her were also or one or more of them were her dealers two of them did have long hair which is definitely a prerequisite for pill pushers so oh and that uh, redhead yeah yeah sure that guy definitely was pushing some pills he's into some shit because she got them from somebody those are not all like she didn't save all those up from from the Methuen house. <laughs> yeah, so. they let her keep all the pills that she stole. <laughs> the time that she, like, well, you won these fair and square. Here you yeah. go. So she's getting it from from somewhere, and I and I could see one or more of those dudes being being the guy. Also, when she said that she asked the person at the front desk how to get them, is bananas <laughs> to me. <laughs> Like it's that's me. Rough. That's the equivalent of me going to the the counter at a hotel and be like, you know where I can get some cocaine? <laughs> like <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. yep. So Phil and Nadia from the Unreal Prognosis podcast ask, who out of Beth's chess friends advisory team has she slept with during the series? So on the surface, I just want to say all of them, but that is six guys, and then you have the reporter, which I think she slept with so that would make seven and that is high for a woman in the 60s it was a different time dave you strike me as a two don't answer that so i'm gonna say definitely the guy with one inch between his eyes they fucked definitely the david spade lookalike they fucked and then one other one i'll say the guy with the long hair so what is that that's three i yes i think she had sex with three of them i think all of them except the weird looking redhead i think she fucked the redhead Mm -mm. she's into it she's redheaded no way Real recognize real, homie. No, real, real recognize ugly. That dude is not attractive. (laughs) All right. Next question is from Seth from Thirst for Knowledge podcast. Which one of Beth's adopted parents dies and what is the cause of death? I bet it is the mother. I, I think just from context of the way some of the other questions were asked, I feel like that's the case. And I think that it would be overdose. And I think that what happens is the show leads you to believe that that will change her drug habits for the better. And instead, it just makes them worse. Hmm. Okay. I agree with you that it's the mother because, you know, also her real mother died. And I think this is the linchpin for like why all the important people in her life are all men. Like she doesn't have any Mm. females in her life that we see in the last episode. Except Jolene. Well, yeah, but she had like just came back in. Like her her best friend, Jolene. Well, you know, like but, that, that girl who's her best friend who gives her yeah, thousand dollars. Yeah, but she really wasn't there up until, or at least she said, like, "Hey, I haven't seen you forever. You don't even answer your calls, bitch. You white Jolene cracker was bitch." Always there in spirit. Okay, well, even if we give Jolene, that's still only one female. Jolene was there in her, her cracker heart. <sighs> Everyone else was male. So <laughs> I, I don't. She doesn't seek relationships with women because all the ones she has known have been crazy or died, and for cause of death. I think it is a drunk driving accident because all her female relationship end with car crashes, which is why she wants to leave the car and walk at the end. Boom. Oh, so you think that she just doesn't like being in cars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I, maybe she has a car phobia. I'm for the, I'm sure there's a name for that. Yeah, I, I can, I could see that. I'm with you. All right. All right. Jessica sent us a few questions. Yeah, Jess. Yeah, Jess. What did Beth steal from her local corner store? 
So at the end of the season, she's 20 in 1968. So first thing to decipher is when we're talking here. We literally only have 11 years to cover, but she definitely seems like she was a rebellious teen. So I'll say around 16, she stole a porno magazine and not like a Playboy or a penthouse, but something filthier like a screw or beaver hunt. Those didn't exist in the 60s. Oh, they did. I did no. some research. Now, no, did you? I did. Can you believe that people used to masturbate to pictures on paper bound together and sold at convenience stores and plastic wrap that blocked the cover like less than 25 years ago? Time is a wild thing. Yeah, time is a wild thing. When I was younger, when I would look at pornography on the computer because I had such a limited window of time to do it before my parents got home from work, I actually <laughs> used to I used to print them out and like I had like a oh. folder of porn in my bedroom. There, there you go. Yeah. When like you only have a limited time when they're coming home when they're at work, I would you would uh, download the porn video on like Kazaa or LimeWire, but then like you could start watching it as it was downloading. So I'd just have I'd just like rewatch the same thirty seconds of like them getting naked <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> it's like oh now I got another five seconds. I got another five seconds. <laughs> So you had the first like 40 seconds yeah. of the thing fucking memorized by the end. Yeah. That's impressive. Oh, here he comes. Here yeah. he comes. His dick is in that pizza box. <laughs> Open that pizza box. His dick is in there. I know it. Yep. Yep. And then, and then that's it. Yeah. I didn't really get much further than that. Cause I was, I mean, I was like, I was like 14. You don't really need a lot, but <laughs> no, anyway. you don't need much. Yeah. But, um, Anyway, I have derailed this podcast. What were we talking about again? <laughs> yeah. We were talking about what she stole from her corner store. I think it, you know, just, fitting in with the rest of the theme i feel like it had to be liquor right she didn't have a way of getting her hands on it but she saw mr scheibel drinking it all the time and all of the adults around her drinking it all the time and wanted to know what what was uh what was so great about it yeah i that that's actually good because like you said when she was nine she's like that's whiskey can i have some so yeah yeah. yeah i think you're right or what if she stole some for Mr. Shivels, like a gift, like a Christmas present or something? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I like it. Next question from Jess. What's the name of the social club Beth considers joining in school? Chess for girls. <laughs> and then she says, no, yeah. thank you. This was one of the hardest ones to answer for me. Real talk. I don't know why. I, I thought about it, and I bet it has something to do with math, since that's what her and her mom were into clearly she has that sort of brain with the way she looks at chess so i went with the inner circle which is both mathematical but it also makes it sound like a cool club you'd want to join so you're just not out of the loop and she's also into bad boys and the band that does the cops theme song is also inner circle so there you go inner circle wow it all comes around yep like a circle (laughs) like a circle Jesus, you know, you claim that though you don't want him to live in the 50s because everyone's a nerdy white guy and you are the epitome of it. You could be the, the president of that club, sir. Yep. There. I couldn't think of that joke earlier, but I really brought it back around. So what is the beer brand that presents itself throughout the series? I went with Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, bruh. It's been around since the early 1900s and it punches above its weight class just like Beth. Easy choice. Lock it in. Schlitz. Ooh, Schlitz. Mm -hmm. What is Beth's adoptive mother's refined drink of choice? Sidecar. Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, (laughs) bruh. Lock it in. (laughs) The worst. (laughs) What animal does Beth observe at the zoo in Mexico? Miller High Life. Jessica, these are some great questions, by the way. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, great questions, Jess. So first question, why is she at a zoo in Mexico? Yeah, and also, why is there a particular animal that she really attaches to? So I think that we can narrow this down to like 20 to 30 animals because it's a zoo animal and I doubt it's a bird. But I'm going to go with a lion and she's honing in on it because she notes how it stalks its prey and then she makes all kind of allusions to her attacking her opponents. So my answer because I want it to be chess related, but it really doesn't make any sense, is horses. <laughs> One, why are there horses at a zoo in Mexico? I don't know. There are horses all over the place in Mexico. Why do they need to be at a zoo? But Beth appreciates them because of the rooks. Yeah, I, I thought about that, but then I realized that no one sees horses at, at a zoo. But Well, Beth could does. Be. It's Mexico. It's Mexico, and it's yeah. the 60s. They didn't, have, they didn't have full access to all the animals back then, probably. But I think it's funny how humans are so interested in seeing animals like there's youtube videos of alligators taking a dump they'll have like seven million views we're just so far removed from them now but i bet in like the 1100s you'd see an animal and be pissed off like get the hell out of here you stupid beaver like i see you all the time it's kind of wild isn't it yeah it's uh it is interesting how we have them in zoos also if you are at a zoo and you are only observing one animal you're doing zoos wrong True. You should observe them all. Very true. At least the ones that you could get to while you're there. I like it. <laughs> Next question from Jess. What does Beth sleep on when she stays in New York? My answer is the floor. Uh, I went with Dudley Dursley's face. But, <laughs> but also, I think she's used to poverty between the trailer and the orphanage. So she probably did sleep on the floor or like on a park bench or something ridiculous just to prove that she could. Did futons exist in the 60s? That's a good question. We'll have to do some research. Hmm. If so, a futon. Okay. Yep. So, Adam, our last set of questions here, and I'm actually going to ask these both together because I think they go, go well together. So, question 1A. As one of her earliest rivals, does Beth feel Harry performed well when it mattered most, or does he shrink when Beth adds pressure? And question 1B. Is question 1A a chess question? Hint, it might be. <laughs> so we're obviously talking about Harry's Harry pawn, right? And is this implying that he has a small thumb or at the least had trouble giving the old thumbs up, if you know what I mean? For being a series about chess, this thing is pretty sexual. But our question askers want us to think that, right? Like yeah. based on a lot of the questions we got, there is a lot of sex going on in this show. A lot we of didn't sex. see it really on either end, but seems it seems like, like a it's a really prevalent theme yeah but if if we're strictly talking chess here they seem to be friends now and she's letting him help her beat borgov so she obviously can't think he's a horrible player like she obviously has some faith in his abilities but that's if we're just talking yeah. chess. if we're talking about his his penis ability then it seems like it's not so great <laughs> agreed so what if here, here's a, th a thought. What if she is attracted to men who are decent at chess? Like their ability to play chess is what determines whether or not she's attracted to them. And so she gets attracted to a lot of these less than attractive young men who are, as we've so oftenly put it, these nerdy white guys. 
but when she gets them in into bed that's not not so much because they're nerdy white guys who are relatively unpracticed in sexual intercourse mm. wow that sentence was <laughs> sad that was a sad thing to say mm, yep. i'm so sorry i think this is both about chess and sex what if he did that in both both things <laughs> and she she is referencing both when she says something like that also obviously he shrinks like a deflating balloon yep okay yeah i can i can see it. i can see it being both mm. and that is the queen's gambit well, thank you all for the questions. Reddit the, from the two podcasters from Instagram and then from friends of the show, Jess and Adam. Thank you all yeah. for the questions. A, a wide array of, of questions and some good thinkers. Couldn't have done it. Here's without a question you. for you. Yeah. What do you think overall this show? Center counts, boy. Center counts. So boy. I, I, <laughs> I don't know why it's said boy. I don't know. I like uh, it. I gave this a five out of seven. Now. I think the last episode fell victim to our process. What I mean by that is it just felt so linear. Like she won the chess. Yay. Like also she was only 20 when this thing ended. I would have liked a more wide ranging epic, like seeing her old wrinkly ass in a basement, teaching some other kid how to play chess. I know this is a limited series, but at the same time, I feel like I saw some things while I was doing research that they're talking about a second season. So I don't know if they purposefully didn't go into later in her life for that reason. Also, they're following a book. So if the book doesn't do that, then there's only so much I can do about the TV show, you know? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I need to like it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But you got me there. I'm also an anti-drug narc. So the whole pill reliance was not my jam, but they ended up bringing that home at the end. The reason I still gave it a five, though, was the cinematography, the wallpaper, even the freaking sound scrape. It was all top notch. Like that was all well done. And the acting was all great. And it's definitely a star turn for Anya Taylor-Joy. Like I, I just I wanted more out of the last episode based solely on what I liked from the first. I, I missed little child Beth. Me too. I, I liked little child Beth a lot. And I will agree with you that I liked the first episode better than the last. And I think you're right too, that it, it falls victim to the way that we, we do this in that, you know, the first episode is experienced the way it is intended to experience as the first episode that you watch. The last one is intended to be kind of a culmination of everything that's happened through the season. And when we miss 80% of that, it leaves a lot of it, you know, to be to be desired, which which can happen with what we watch. And that's why me trying to turn over a new leaf in 2021 and not hate, hate everything gave this a six out of seven. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I really like the acting. I really like the cinematography. The story was super interesting, especially that that first episode, which is like really intriguing. Uh, definitely something I'm I'm going to go back and watch. I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, I'll probably watch the middle, too. I mean, again, I gave it a five out of seven. So I'm not disliking it. Yeah, we, we, we talked about it, but it's it's a good show. Yeah, it's you gave show. you gave Bad Santa a six out of seven. No, though. I gave it a four. I gave it a four. Are you sure about that? I remember putting many more sandwiches on a no, stack no. of sandwiches. I gave it four. Four sandwiches. I promise. I just, they that. were just really tall sandwiches. They were just big sandwiches. People that they? don't follow our Instagram are like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> sandwiches man yep why aren't you following our Instagram? yeah there's a good question that's a good question yeah and we just answered it yeah but that was the queen's gambit great show 
they did a really good job of tying the first episode to the last episode to the point where I feel like we didn't need to know anything that happened in between, right? There were just a few characters that were like, well, where did they come from? But like the fact that the first episode opens with her seeing Jolene again, and then the, or, or I'm sorry, the last episode starts with her seeing Jolene again in the beginning of it. And then, you know, resolving Mr. Scheibel's mm-hmm. storyline, her seeing those pictures going back right. and, and remembering all of that. It, it felt almost like the middle didn't matter. Yeah. I mean, in a sense it didn't like we, we saw the opening and we saw the questions it was asking, you know, about the, the drug use and what that, was really doing for her. And then we found out that no, it's not, she didn't need it. So yeah, I mean, ultimately the middle didn't really matter, which is interesting. Uh, They they did a lot of callbacks to the, to the beginning there in the last episode that I, that I don't feel like we missed a whole lot in the middle, but I'm going to go back and watch it anyways. Sounds gravy, baby. So Dave, what are we doing next episode? We are watching roadhouse and our episode is going to be coming out January 20th. And we are going to have a mustachioed expert on the podcast. Daniel from Mustachioed Podcastio is going to be on to quiz us on Roadhouse and set us straight. Yeah, he's a he's a funny dude. If you don't listen to Black Brackets, you should. But he was a guest on there recently, and it was a really great episode. Check out his podcast as well. But I, when we decided to do Roadhouse. I asked him if he had seen it, and his response was, I'm a grown-ass man. Of course I've seen Roadhouse. Okay. <laughs> which, which which, makes it sound like we're little bitches. But he said, he said that right after we said, let's do Roadhouse, because we've never seen it. <laughs> yes. I think I'm going to like Daniel. <laughs> yeah. So, ready for it. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. I hope that he finally sets you straight on how much of a nerdy white man you are. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Mm -hmm. as always, folks, appreciate you being here. And if you have any questions or feedback, send them to the centercutcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, the Center Cut Cast page, on Twitter, the Center Cut, Instagram. Like we said before, Instagram is where it's at. We love posting stuff to that. So we're posting our, our center counts, boy. We are also uh, posting all kinds of uh, different previews, different different art for this show. So definitely go check out our Instagram uh, just at, at the center cut. Yes, please. I, I don't have anything else. I'm going to go buy a chessboard and start practicing, bro. Okay, you get going. I'm going to school you with the, whatever that move was that I can't remember what it's called. The scholar's mate. Yep. I'm going to get you with that shit. But like the queen's gambit, white to take black deep on. Because it's always better in the center. <laughs> <laughs>